Well, for the last uh, several weeks uh, prior to Brent and Denny bringing two messages for the last two weeks prior to today, I was on a series called The Untouchables, and I'm going to continue that today. This is probably the last teaching in this series, but The Untouchables has been all about things that people are afraid to touch with a 10-foot pole in church that a lot of pastors are very squeamish about talking about, and a lot of people are squeamish in uh, hearing and talking about at church. For these past several teachings, uh, five prior to today, we've talked about several different subjects that are of the sensitive and even somewhat inflammatory nature, depending on your views on these things. Uh, and we're going to continue that again today uh, by talking about the blindness of the, quote, woke culture. Now, as you see there on the screen, the blind leading the blind, I'm going to show you that this whole woke culture thing is sort of that, the blind leading the blind. And of course, we want to know what the scriptures say about these social issues. And by the way, if you listen to Andrew Womack's daily broadcast, I think the timing for this untouchable series is kind of interesting because Andrew Womack has been talking about social issues, the history of our church. He brought on uh, David Barton of Wall Builders and his son Tim, and they've been talking about uh, historical things from our governments, and, and uh, they even brought a, up the fact that you know pastors used to address quote, untouchable issues from the pulpit all the time. They talked about social issues. They talked about political issues of the day. And it um, seems like in this day and age, people are afraid to address those topics, political things from the pulpit, uh, sensitive social issues from the pulpit. But I believe that God has ordained us to talk about these things, okay? Because we want to have a biblical worldview on all these different issues that face us as a church and as a society and as families. So with that little introduction in mind, let's turn to our master text. I'm going to give you two master texts today. The first one is in the book of Isaiah, right kind of smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 5. And then also put your finger in that. <clears throat> and we're also going to read from Romans chapter 1. We'll begin with Isaiah chapter 5. So when you find that, would you stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And as you see there on the screen, we're going to read just five verses from Isaiah 5, verses 20 through 24. So let's start there. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like the dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Turn to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read to verses 18 through 22. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. That definitely sets the stage for this teaching on the woke culture. And the term woke, by the way, if you've never heard that term used, the, the term woke, as it's being used in this context, simply refers to not being asleep, uh, not being ignorant of the issues of the day, particularly where injustice is concerned. Well, that term woke is kind of bad grammar, as we know. I mean, if you were to say it grammatically correct, you would say awake or awakened or aware. But bad grammar aside, we know what they mean. But how does the woke culture uh, really know that they are awake? And how do they know that they're not part of the blindness? How do they know that they have it right? See, uh, woke people do seem very sincere about what they believe, don't they? But sincerity, folks, listen, sincerity is not the marker for truth. Okay? There are a lot of people who are very sincere about things, but who are sincerely wrong. The Flat Earth Society comes to mind. <laughs> but woke people do seem to be mission-minded. They blog. They have a brand, right? They wrap themselves in henna or uh, paint themselves with war paint at festivals, even though they never engage in a physical war, uh, if they engage at all. Uh, woke people have cool graphics, T-shirts, and catchy hashtags, uh, they sometimes have great jobs, or very often they have no jobs at all because their families can afford to float them. They're the first to pop up at protests and take uh, viral images on their cell phone and then run home to talk about it on the Internet. But much of what the woke culture doesn't realize is that wokeism, if you will, has its roots in neo-Marxist philosophy, I did a teaching in this series several weeks ago on racism, and I showed you how the, uh, the two founders of Black Lives Matter admit that they are trained Marxists. By the way, uh, this past week, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter uh, stepped down amidst allegations of extortion that she was using money that was brought in as contributions to line her own pockets personally. Okay? So, as with everything, we need to apply the truth test of Scripture to this area as well regarding wokeism and see how it stacks up against Scripture. So, I want to talk to you this morning about why the methods of the woke culture will not ultimately work. See, I think that many of us probably already realize that the woke culture 
often engages in bullying and intimidation in order to get what they want. And this has been encouraged by politicians like Maxine Waters and others on the left who encourage this social intimidation and bullying. But listen, folks, bullying people into compliance never helps the situation. It only inflames it. It only creates more problems. And on that note, you know, even laws can't change people's hearts, as important as laws are. You know, Christians should understand that while laws and legislation uh, guard the principle of equal rights for Americans legally, um, no law can actually change the human soul, the heart. See, someone who's filled with uh, prejudice and racial hatred will not suddenly be filled with love simply because a new law is passed or someone bullied them or intimidated them or forced them to do something. All right? See, unlike some who pursue change only at the legislative level, Christians know the evil of the human heart, the tendency of the evil of the human heart. You know, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the depth of the wickedness of our own human heart, even as Christians sometimes, often goes unnoticed because of our selfishness. So then the point that I want to make here about the woke culture and their methods is that bullying can never, ever change the heart. As a matter of fact, when you try to bully someone or intimidate them, it actually causes them oftentimes to dig in their heels more and fight you that much harder. So, folks, listen, real justice is possible only when individuals have been justified in Christ. Only when we're saved can we really, truly carry out the mandate to love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus taught us to do. See, Jesus addressed racial divides, among other things, in his famous parable that has become known as the, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember that story, there was a, uh, an Israelite man who was uh, traveling all, along the road, and along came some bandits... And they beat him and stripped him and robbed him and left him on the road to die. And then as he lay there, along comes a Jewish man, fellow Jew, saw him in the road there, sidestepped him and went on his way, didn't want to be bothered with it. Then along came another Jewish man, a priest this time, saw his fellow Israelite laying in the road, same story, didn't want to be bothered, didn't want to take the time, sidestepped him and went on his way. But then a Samaritan came along. And if you know the history of that time, you know that Samaritans were despised by Jews. You know, the Jews had some racial prejudice that they struggled with too. There's nothing new under the sun. And this Samaritan came along, saw this Jewish man laying in the road, knew that this Jewish man probably hated him because he was a Samaritan. But compassion overcame that racial divide. And he took the man up, took him to an inn, paid for his rehabilitation and his care. And so the point there is that Jesus showed that in this parable that while many laws were already in place, 
in that time and place. Those laws did not have the ability to get rid of selfishness. He also showed that compassion can overcome racial issues if we allow the love of God to guide us. Compassion. See, folks, listen, there's nothing wrong with laws, of course, and we need them to have a civil society. But a person can be a law-abiding citizen. Listen, a person can be a law-abiding citizen and still go straight to hell because they did not conform their lives to the laws of God and they never submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, again, laws don't change the heart. And if we, if we learn anything uh, from the Bible's account of the days of Jesus when he walked the earth, we see that people had a tendency back then and even today, they have a tendency to overdo it when it comes to laws and societal guidelines, just like the Pharisees did. You know, the Pharisees were very well trained in the scriptures, but they went overboard and said, okay, how do we interpret this commandment of God? Let's make a bunch of other laws to help define this command. And they went way overboard. And that's what we tend to do as a society today. We go way overboard with laws and um, societal guidelines because our own hearts are corrupted. And that's sort of similar to what we see happening today with the woke culture and political correctness. Now, let me define for some of you younger ones that may not know what political correctness is. Well, Dennis Prager of Prager University states it like this. Political correctness is the inability to state certain truths because they may offend certain people. So we've tried to restrict what people can say so that certain people don't get offended. Well, again, you can't make enough laws to get people to treat you like you want them to. Why is that? Because the human heart is always going to be bent toward evil. That's why. And only a relationship with Jesus is going to change that. So then, does it help anything when we tell people to be less white, as an example, as Coca-Cola has done? Does that help anything? So they even have it on some of their cans now. Try to be less white. <laughs> okay. Well, being less white in this context, listen to this. Listen, being less white in this context, what they mean by that, there's a couple of things that they mean by that. The first one is this. It means don't have such high standards. Because, you know, some black people might not be able to live up to those societal standards because of their upbringing or their intelligence, which paradoxically is to suggest that black people can't live up to the standards of the rest of society, which is a terrible insult to black people. Think. What an insult to black people. But we're being encouraged to be less white because, you know, we wouldn't want people to feel bad about themselves because they're not able to live up to your white standards. It's very racist. It's very racist. Well, it's racist in both ways. It's, it's racist against white people, but it's very, as I said, very insulting to black people. It insults their intelligence. Okay? 
So before I show you what the scriptures say about this, and of course we have to look at all of these social issues through the lens of what the Bible says, but before I show you what the Bible says about this, I want to remind you that the Bible was not written by white people. God inspired the writing of the Bible through ancient Israelites who were our brown-skinned people. Okay? And the, the God wrote the Bible for people of all colors and creeds throughout all time. All right, so let's see what the Bible has to say about standards. All right? So the first one is in Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. That means you can try and try and try and try, but if you don't have the right skill set, you're only going to get so far. You improve your skill set, you have better success. That's what the Bible is saying, okay? And uh, likewise, in Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So everything that we do in our jobs, uh, our careers, uh, everything that we do with our families ought to be done with as high of a standard of excellence as you are able to do it because you're doing it to bring glory to God. And that's why, by the way, I'm kind of known as almost a bit maniacal about standards of excellence. I like excellence. I like things done well. And I realize that, that excellence is a relative term depending on where you go to church because the standards of excellence in a church this size probably won't be able to live up to the standards of excellence of a church ten times this size. But as much as we are able to do it, as much as you are able to do it, we ought to be people of excellence. We ought to do what we do as unto the Lord as excellently as we know how to bring glory to Him. You ought not be a person that on your job, as an example, do the very least to get by and then go around naming the name of Jesus all over the place. That gives God a bad name. But when you do what you do excellently, then you have a platform, a better platform by which to proclaim your faith. Do you agree with that? So then being less white also means apparently being less oppressive as if all white people are oppressive and all black people aren't. <laughs> Have you seen the methods of Black Lives Matter and how oppressive that is? Burning down neighborhoods isn't oppressive? Come on. This whole idea is all out racism in reverse. See, being oppressive or arrogant or any of the things that they say being white means isn't a condition of the color of one's skin, folks. Once again, it's a condition of the human soul. There are people all down through time of every race, creed, color, and religion who are both oppressive and who are both godly. Evil and good. Makes no difference to the color of one's skin. That doesn't make a person evil or good. Well, let me make another statement here about political correctness. This comes from Mel Gibson. Here's what Mel Gibson, the actor, and um, he's also a director now. Um, here's what he says about political correctness. I am politically incorrect. That's true. Political correctness to me is just intellectual terrorism. 
I find that really scary, and I won't be intimidated into changing my mind. See, folks, if you read the Gospels, you should pick up on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was about the least politically correct person in history. He did not mince words just because he was fearful that it might offend someone, that the truth might hurt someone's feelings. He never did that. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to call the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones. You clean yourself up so nicely on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of death and corruption. How'd you like to have Jesus get in your face and say that? I wonder if any Pharisees went, oh, that hurts my feelings. Well, as a matter of fact, um, there was someone, actually it was one of Jesus' disciples that said, Master, you offended them. Jesus wasn't concerned about that. He laid the truth out there. He, you know, Jesus didn't go out of his way to insult or hurt someone, but he just put the truth out there in an effort to try to shake someone's cage enough where they wake up out of their spiritual slumber. That was his goal. That was his goal. Folks, listen, the fact is the truth often does hurt, no matter how gently you say it. Man, as a pastor, I've said, I've said stuff to people that are so gentle, cushioned with copious amounts of compliments on one side, a little bit of guidance and correction in the middle, copious amounts of compliments on the other side, and they still have a blowout. They still have a meltdown. People don't want to hear the truth sometimes. They don't want to hear it. Yeah, amen, brother. The truth shall set you free. And even though the truth does often hurt sometimes, if we muzzle everyone for fear of offending someone, then there's two major problems that we develop as a result of that mindset. Number one, we create a culture of fear and intimidation. We create a culture of fear and intimidation where nobody wants to say anything that might even be close to offending someone. We're walking on eggshells all the time for fear of offending someone. That's no way to live. That's a terrible society to live in. So the first problem is we create a, we create a culture of fear and intimidation. And secondly, listen to this, we create a, a society of emotionally weak and fragile people who don't know how to handle it when someone disagrees with them. Let me say that again. We create a culture of weak and emotionally fragile people. Some people would call them snowflakes, but that's another story. We create a culture of weak people who don't know how to handle it. They can't process it when someone disagrees with them and they have a meltdown. And they have to go to their safe space. Let's continue on with this idea of political correctness. Christopher Hitchens said this, I learned that very often the most intolerant and narrow-minded people are the ones who congratulate themselves on their tolerance and open-mindedness. Yes. <laughs> Have you seen that too? Yes. See, most, quote, woke people who think they're so open-minded 
are actually open-minded to anything that doesn't conflict with their worldview. But when it does conflict, watch out. These so-called tolerant people are very intolerant of anyone that doesn't agree with them, especially Christians. As a for instance... You know, I like what Dr. Ben Carson says. He's a wonderful Christian man as well. He says this on this topic. One of our founding pillars was freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And yet we have imposed upon people restrictions on what they can say, on what they can think. And the media is the largest proponent of this, crucifying people. And the media just makes things up sometimes, folks, completely void of truth. Just make things up to crucify someone and to vilify someone who speaks out against the narrative that's the popular narrative. That's very common. Actually, it's, if you listen to Andrew Womack's podcast with David Barton, that's been happening since the days of George Washington in the media. They lied on George Washington, too. Our very first president. Now, one example of political correctness in our culture is that we're being trained to refer to black Americans as African Americans. And I realize that's kind of a minor example, but I think that's, that really represents the heart of political correctness. See, listen, folks, the only African Americans in this country are the ones who immigrated here from African nations. The color of the skin does not make someone an African-American. Most black people in this nation have never stepped foot in Africa. So if we're going to abide by these standards of political correctness and wokeness, listen, why not be consistent across the board? You know, my ancestors were from England and Ireland, so why not refer to me as an Irish-American or an English-American? Why not refer to other white people as European Americans or Scottish Americans? Right? We have to be consistent if we're going to do if we're going to do this whole woke political correctness thing, right? See, when you divide people into classes and make different rules for different kinds of people, then that is part of the problem of racism. See, we can't solve the problem of racism by calling people with certain tones to their skin by different classifications. We're all Americans. And as Christians, as I spoke about in my whole teaching on racism, the Bible says that we're all one. There there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, even male or female. We're all one in Jesus Christ. See, by calling people with different tones of their skin by different classifications, we only exacerbate the problem. The problem of racism will not be solved with words because, once again, it goes back to the heart. It's a heart issue, isn't it? What's the Bible say about this? In John 3, 19 through 20, I think this is a good scripture to apply to political correctness. Jesus is speaking here and he says this, and this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. 
So see, folks, listen, political correctness in so many ways is a way to avoid talking about difficult issues, facing the truth about certain things, and still congratulate oneself for their supposed wokeness. Now, let me qualify here that we as Christians, folks, listen, this is so important. I'm not saying that we should be unkind people and just say whatever comes to our mind just because it comes to our mind, regardless of the situation or who it might hurt. We, as Christians, should be considerate of people and treat everyone with respect. The Bible tells us to do that. That is biblical. But fearing to speak up at all on social and political issues or speaking into someone's life the truth because we fear that it might offend someone, that our views will offend someone, that is clearly unbiblical because the Bible tells us to share our faith in this wicked world. And that doing so will indeed sometimes get us persecuted. That's true. And of course, we certainly don't condone bullying and intimidation as a way to force social change. We don't condone that. Neither does the Bible. You see, people so often, as I said before, don't want to hear the truth. And that's why the concept of political correctness has emerged in part because it seeks to shut people up while proclaiming itself to be sensitive to people's sensitivities. But political correctness, or PC, if you will, PC is always a double standard. It's always a double standard because it certainly doesn't take my sensitivities as a Christian into consideration. For example, I'm very offended when someone takes the name of my Lord in vain in my presence. That offends me. So if we're going to be politically correct, we should just create a culture where no one swears. But no one's talking about that because PC at its roots seeks only to shut people up who disagree with the popular narrative. And folks, that's very dangerous. Now, I want to transition here. All of this is kind of under the umbrella of political correctness, but there's several things under that umbrella that I want to talk about. The next one is another untouchable that people don't talk about in church too often, and that's transgenderism. Okay, so can we talk about that for a moment? People who say, well, I identify as a man may identify, yeah, I'm a man biologically, but I identify as a woman, or vice versa. Let me ask you a question. What if I identify as the President of the United States? In keeping with our standards of the untouchables, I think I could probably do a better job than the person who's in there right now. And so could many of you. (laughs) But what if I just said, I identify as the President of the United States. Well, by the standards of wokeism, by the standards of political correctness, you should treat me as such. You should regard me as the, you, you, you should stand up when I come in the room. 
right? You should, you should call me Mr. President, right? If we're going to be consistent with these standards of wokeism and political correctness and these standards of transgenderism and I identify as. But folks, listen, a person who identifies as the president of the United States but who isn't the president is delusional. Is delusional. And a person who identifies as a woman but who is really a man is likewise delusional. But for some reason, when it comes to sexual identity, our society gives people a free pass. If you say that you're the president and you identify as the president and you're not, they might put you in a loony bin. But if you say that I'm a woman but you're really a biologically man, that seems to be okay with society. If you're a biological man and you say I identify as a woman, according to the standards of wokeism and political correctness, that's okay. You get a pass when it comes to that. See, here's the hypocrisy of wokeness. On the one hand, listen to this. On the one hand, wokeness, political correctness, or the left, claims to empower women. But on the other hand, it allows biological males to participate in women's sports if they identify as women, thus crushing the hopes of biological women who've trained so hard in their sport because no matter how hard a woman trains, she's never going to be able to compete against a male athlete. That's just the way it is. And that statement right there is an untouchable. That statement right there is considered completely politically incorrect because the mindset is, well, how dare you say that women are weaker? Folks, you have to be an idiot to not see the differences between men and women. The Bible tells, listen to this, the Bible tells husbands to love their wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Why is that? Because a woman is delicate compared to a man. Women are more emotional compared to men. And men should keep that in mind. Women are indeed physically weaker than men. And God wants men to treat women with the kind of respect that we might treat an expensive and delicate vase. I mean, what woman wouldn't want to be treated with that kind of loving regard, right? But political correctness and wokeness has created a culture where women are now considered men's physical equal, and therefore women end up being discriminated against, at least in, at least in sports anyway, because even on their best day, women are never going to be able to run as fast as a male athlete, or throw a discus as far as a man, or what have you. Someone even told me the other day that the uh, women's Brazilian Olympic soccer team, who won gold in the Olympics at one point, played an American 15-year-old male high school soccer team. And those 15-year-old boys blew them away. The, the women's team didn't even score on them. I think the, the final score was like five or six to nothing. So I'm sorry, folks. Women are not men's physical equal. 
And you see all these movies in Hollywood that are depicting now the female hero, and uh, they're, they're really emasculating women to be men's physical. So a lot of the, the action movies now have uh, women as the action hero to try to change our perception along these lines. And it's really doing women a disservice because men are being trained to no longer regard women as the delicate and precious flowers that they are. It really does women a terrible disservice. It's the epitome of injustice against women. But that's okay because we have to respect transgenderism above everything else. That's what we're being trained to do. It's another example of what our master text says in Romans chapter 1. Proclaiming themselves to be wise, they have become utter fools. So what's the Bible say about transgenderism? Look at Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. What's an abomination? Something the Lord despises. I won't even, you know, now, today, I won't even put on a woman's garment in, in jest or in joking. You know, I used to do that when I was, you know, living crazy, just, you know, just as a joke, you know, Halloween costume or something like that. I, I won't even do that, not, not even in jest, let alone you know, this whole issue of transgenderism, because the Lord, the Lord says what the Lord says, and the Lord says is the gospel. All right, let me deal with another issue here, and that's the issue of police, how we should, how the Bible says that we should regard police. Now, you're looking at a monument there, a historical monument that's been defaced by Black Lives Matter. So the, uh, you've got a horse and rider there that has BLM painted across it. And then you've got a, uh, there, there's a, a video image that's being projected upon the rest of the monument of George Floyd. That's whose face that is that you see there, George Floyd. He was the one who uh, died when he was uh, arrested by an officer and the officer put him on the ground and had his knee on his chest. Well, if you read that, that account of what happened, that the police report, here's what happened. Uh, George Floyd had three times the lethal dose of fentanyl in his system at the time of the arrest. Do you know what fentanyl does when it's ingested to that level? It seizes up the lungs. And before that officer even got him on the ground, he was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And he was resisting arrest. He was hopped up on drugs. The officer had every right to get him on the ground. And because he was so hopped up on fentanyl and his, his lungs were seized up, he perished. Um, I don't think justice was done in that situation with that, that arresting officer. Because the man was a career criminal, ladies and gentlemen. He was a career criminal. Yet somehow, some way, people have made him out to be some sort of hero and demonized police. And I'm going to sh uh, show you what uh, Larry Elder, who is a black conservative, says about this in just a moment on a video that I want to show you here in a second. But before we get to that, uh, I want to tell you a about a another example like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, who was killed by gunfire with police. Did do you know the situation with Breonna Taylor? Uh, she was a drug dealer and her, her boyfriend was a drug dealer. And uh, the, the police came to his house where she was the moment 
and they were going to make an arrest. They were going to raid the place because he was a drug dealer. And uh, they knocked on the door and, and announced themselves. And when they did, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend shot through the door and hit one of the police officers in the leg. And they returned fire, and Breonna Taylor was in the way, and she took fire and was killed. And for some reason, you know how the media twists things. They twisted it to make her out to be the victim and the police to be the perpetrator. That's not what happened. And in every single case where you see a, a black person killed by a police officer, it was someone breaking the law and then resisting arrest every time. Every time. So now... It would be easy for someone listening to me who is a black person who agrees with this whole Black Lives Matter thing and this wokeism nonsense and this political correctness nonsense to say, well, you're a white man and you know, you're coming at it from a totally different perspective than black people. That's why I want to show you this video that we're about to show you by conservative uh, commentator Larry Elder. He's actually on the show of a white liberal interviewing a black conservative, so kind of a switch there. Uh, and... Uh, and he's talking about this whole idea about police excessive force with black people and how totally erroneous that is. So guys, go ahead and fire that up. It's about two and a half minutes long. Go ahead. This is purely because of social justice. This Pure, is purely because, because they want ultimately for people to be angry enough to just keep voting Democrat. That's right. right. And, that and where's, where's the evidence of a lack of social justice? When a black suspect is killed by, by a cop, believe me, the media's on it, people are watching it, uh, and, uh, and justice will, will, for the most part, occur. In Baltimore, where Freddie Gray was killed, uh, Freddie Gray died in a van, I shouldn't say was killed, died in a van. Yeah. You have a city that's 45% uh, black, uh, city council is 100% Democrat. The majority of city council is black. The top cop at the time was, was black. The number two cop was black. The majority of the command staff is black. The, the mayor is black. Uh, the AG is black. Uh, and yet here we are talking about racism. I mean, it's, it's absurd. Yeah. It's absurd. So it's funny. I find myself caught in between this a little bit as a liberal where I want to always try to defend the other. So in this case, the other being black people, I, I'm always sympathetic to that. And that, uh, yeah, yeah, and at the same time, I hear you laying out a pretty solid well, case. Well, these are just the facts. I'll tell you something else, too. There was just a study, um, uh, University of Washington, uh, and it turns out cops were more reluctant, more hesitant to pull the trigger against a black, black suspect than a white suspect, uh, probably because of the fear of being accused of racially profiling and the fear that the civil rights establishment was going to come down on them. So if anything, uh, whites are more likely to be shot by a cop under, under certain circumstances than a, than, a, uh, than a black person. And in the last 30 or 40 years, the number of percentage of suspects killed by cops who are black has declined 75%. However, the percentage of whites killed by cops has flatlined. Yeah. And so if anything, people are more concerned about shooting black people for fear that they're going to be called racist. And almost all, every one of these incidents, whether it's Eric Gardner in, in New York, who died because he was selling Lucy's and resisted arrest, whether it's Tamir Rice in Cleveland, who was twirling around the gun, whether it's Michael Brown in Ferguson, uh, who had just uh, committed a ar strong arm robbery, almost every one of these incidents involves somebody resisting arrest. Why don't you just do what the police tell you? My dad said, when I get pulled over, have my hand at 10 o'clock, have my hand at 2 o'clock, say yes, sir, say no, sir, make sure my paperwork is in order, and if I feel the cop is uh, mistreating me, get a badge number and deal with it later on. If Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and Obama and the whole group of them told black people to do that, we'd have a lot fewer of these things uh, to deal with in the first place. Yeah. All right. 
So that's the issue. I mean, just do what the police tell you, and you'll never get in trouble. Okay? And uh, I, I, on that note, I want to show you what the Bible says about this issue. First of all, I want to go back to uh, part of our master text and say this uh, from a Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So things have been inverted in our culture, and the Bible says that's Woe to those that do that. But specifically where it comes to police, I want you to see what Romans chapter 13 says. It's a little bit of a lengthier reading, so bear with me. We'll read this together up on the screen. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is from God. The authorities that exist have been appointed by God. Consequently, whoever resists authority or police is opposing what God has set in place. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will have his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid." For he does not carry the sword in vain. He is God's servant, an agent of retribution to the wrongdoer. That's how we should feel about police officers. All right? Now, if we ever get to the point where the law is forcing us to do something that's ungodly, that's against our convictions, then we do have the right to respectfully decline doing that with the risk of maybe being arrested because of it and... Christians off down through time have faced that reality. But aside from that, we need to respect our police. And they're in a very precarious situation every day of their lives on the job, especially now in this society where the media has twisted things so much and inflamed things against police so much that now so much of our culture hates police. We need to respect them and bless them whenever possible. If I see a police officer in a restaurant and I have the opportunity to do so, I'll pay for their meal and just say thank you for your service, just like we do with you know, our military. Okay, So they need to have our support and our prayers and our respect. Praise God. All right, I'm almost done here, but I want to deal with uh, this issue right here that people who are truly aware or woke learn from history. They don't try to rewrite it. And that's what's been happening with a woke culture, pulling down monuments, trying to rewrite history, erasing certain things from our history books, rewriting things. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says that now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written down for our instruction. We need to learn from the mistakes of the past. So that we don't repeat those mistakes rather than trying to erase them from history and just seeing them repeat again. Because, you know, you've heard the saying, people who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. And I saw this meme on Facebook. Again, one of the few that I think are good. But this is a picture of George Orwell who wrote the book 1984. And I think if he were alive today, he would say exactly this. Boy, did I call it or what? He says um, in the book 1984, he says, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten. 
every picture repainted, every statue, street, and building renamed, every date altered, and the process continues day by day. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Yeah. In in many ways, he was very prophetic, wasn't he? Well, I want to give you one last scripture here, and then we're going to close. So uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is our final instruction right here. And we're going to read in chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. This is our instructions. And you know what? Since uh, I mentioned this verse, uh, verse 7, earlier in the teaching, let's go ahead and just start from verse 7 and remind us husbands how we ought to be regarding our our wives. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, there it is, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Hmm. Men, if you want your prayers to be effective, treat your wives with gentleness and respect. Verse 8. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Keep reading. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord." Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil." Praise God. That's our instructions. Live in harmony with everyone so long as it depends on you. And I realize that not everyone is going to want to live in harmony with you. But as long as it depends on you, live in harmony with all people. So that's the way that we're going to wrap up this teaching today. Even though there's a lot of upheaval out there, a lot of things that that make us angry when we think about it. Our mandate is to be at peace and to love people, and to be at peace with everyone so long as it depends on us. Donna, could you come up and play something? We're going to pray here real quick. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.